So we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at that portion of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus uh, teaches us to pray to our Heavenly Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I want to share some scriptures on this matter uh, from both the Old Testament and the the prayer itself in Matthew chapter 6. Um, I want to read Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13. And then I want to read Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And then I want to read Matthew 6, 11, and 12. They all tie together on this, this wonderful, important theme of forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you. This is God speaking now. See, the voice changes. I have to tell you that. God is speaking here in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Oh, rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And then Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is God's word. Amen. 
I want you to imagine waking up one morning. How about this morning? How about this morning? Since we're talking about mornings. Waking up in the morning debt free. A no house debt? Car debt? Credit card debt? Medical debt? Education debt? No debt. You're debt free. I mean, the money you once paid for these loans, principal and interest, now accrues in your account. And you're no, no, no longer beneath the pressure of a deadline. The pressure's off. You feel light. Just, just that fantasy. Just, just that thought, that imagination. It's, it's just an enlightening sensation. Because now you have margin. You have flexibility. You can consider possibilities that could not otherwise be considered, that would be impossible to consider. That project you wanted to undertake is now possible. That vacation you wanted to take is now within reach. That person you wanted to help can now be helped because now you have margin and flexibility. Financial liberation frees possibilities that otherwise just would not be possible. Now I want you to take that feeling and apply it to the portion of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Is Jesus' invitation to a life of liberation. There it is today. Jesus is inviting us to a liberated life. A life free from the penalty and power and ultimately the presence of sin. He's inviting us to a life of margin. A life that helps us consider possibilities that would otherwise be impossible. To pray, forgive us our debts, is to ask God to emancipate us from the unpayable debt of sin. Unpayable by us. Now today what I'd like for us to consider is just the first part of that petition. I'd like for us to just consider the part that says, forgive us our debts. And here's why. Much preaching on this verse tends to quickly address the offended and their need for, uh, to forgive the offenses of others. It's easy just to jump there. And yes, if you look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus continues this verse, and it's the only section of the Lord's Prayer that he gives a footnote with, so to speak. He's addressing the offended and their need to forgive the offenses of others. Yes, this is true. At the same time, these verses address offenders. And these verses call us toward hard questions like, do you understand what you did? Do you understand what you did? And, and, and have you come clean? 
Have you come clean? At Celebrate Recovery, this is what we say. At Celebrate Recovery, we say, you are only as sick as your secrets. And, and God wants to relieve us from the pressure of these debt-laden secrets. And, and it's a, you know, we have pressures enough already, don't we? Is anybody feeling pressure? Pre- is it just me? <laughs> How about the, hey, let, me get, let me give you some pressures. How about the pressure of school? What's going to happen in school this fall? Anybody feeling pressure about that and how are you going to handle the logistics on that? Huh? Uh, or, or, or how about the pressure of uh, just, just are, is anybody feeling a little bit of fatigue from this virus? I am. Pressures from you know, school pressures from this virus, pressures. It's an elect. Anybody know it's an election year? Huh? And, and I, I'll say it again. God is sovereign. I'm not worried about who's going to be in Congress and the Supreme Court and the White House this next year. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what that's going to do to us. Because if it divides us, then, then our, our, our primary allegiance, you see, our primary allegiance is to Christ. And so we are, we are at our best as a church when we are united in Christ. And, and, and these unknown futures, these... Issues, we can't fix those pressures because they're out of our control. But what we can do is ask God to forgive our sin debt and flood our bankrupt hearts with the currency of His grace. And I submit that a forgiven and liberated heart financed from the riches of God's grace will empower us to thrive amidst all these pressures that we can't control. Listen, you are who the most important important person in your life says you are and these verses tell us who we are in Christ these verses will take us there so what I would like for us to do is to consider this morning uh, our need for debt relief our hope of debt relief and the delight of debt relief the need the hope and the delight of debt relief. First, our need. We need liberation from the debt of sin. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that all of us possess this overwhelming need for debt relief. Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts. And by the way, let me just talk about this for a moment. Some of us uh, read the scriptures and we're going, forgive us our what? I mean, is it debts? Is it trespasses? As in verse 14. Is it sins? As in Luke chapter 11, verse 4. Which is it? All of it. All of it. You see, in Scripture, sin is depicted with various word pictures. What is sin? Well, in the Bible, sin is a stain to be cleansed. A burden to be carried, a trespass to be resolved, and a debt to be settled. Those are the different word pictures that the Bible depicts as sin. And Matthew is likely quoting Jesus' actual words to his predominantly Hebrew audience who understood the word picture of sin as a debt. 
But Luke is not writing to Hebrews. He's writing to Greeks who didn't as readily grasp the financial word picture. So Luke actually interprets the word picture that we see in Matthew 6, 12, and 14. Luke speaks plainly. He just says sins. And that's why the differences abound. These authors are talking to different audiences. The logic behind the word picture of sin debt is this. When we disobey God, we create debt. And God's justice requires repayment. But we don't have the money to repay the debt. We didn't have the money to pay the debt when we spent it. But we did it anyway. We never will. And we might say, well, it's just a little sin. Yeah, well, in our currency maybe, but in God's currency, it's more than that. James chapter 2 verse 10 says that he who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. I think that's one of the hardest verses in the Bible to believe. Because it, it just, it equalizes us, does it not? He who keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. And so forgive us our debts affirms what James chapter 2 verse 10 says. Forgive us our debts, our words meant to yank us out of our denial. Forgive us our debts is meant to collapse our inception-like dream world that denies the devastating effects of our sin on others. Forgive us our debts. It's a verse that assumes the brokenness of this world. Broken relationships, broken families, broken marriages, and broken congregations. Do you know why this church started back in the early 70s? I wish that I could tell you that a group of believers began to pray and committed themselves to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Let's make more disciples for Christ in Champaign-Urbana. And out of that glorious vision that our Lord gave us, then some obedient believers decided to carry that out. And that's why this church started. Not quite. Our church started because a pastor's immoral act created a heinous sin debt that split a congregation. And that's our glorious heritage. That's, it. That's why I say there are only sinners at Windsor Road. Forgive us our debts opens our eyes to the world as it really is. Romans chapter 3 verse 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Did you notice that this request for forgiveness is connected to the request for bread? Notice that the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and there's not a period there. There's what? What? And. And. As surely as we need bread, daily bread, we need forgiveness. And as surely as we will perish physically without bread, we will perish spiritually if we do not have forgiveness. What is the point of bread if we do not have forgiveness? Forgiveness is needed because we have never had bread in a sinless state. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Your physical body, especially your stomach, 
has a very loud voice. (laughs) And it growls like a bear if it does not get bread. But your spirit has a much softer voice. And it will not growl like your stomach. You know what what your spirit does? Your spirit doesn't growl. Your spirit goes... Your spirit gives a sigh. And, And in many cases, we not only overlook the soul's sigh, but we suppress the sigh. We pretend the sigh is not there. We deny the sigh of unremitted debt. This is going to hurt. I have heard it said, if we would just stop talking about racism in our country, it would go away. It will not go away. God will not use the broom of time to sweep our sin under the rug. To deny the debt won't erase the debt. The debt still grows. The interest still accrues. And at some point, it becomes unmanageable. No, here it is. Rather, its unmanageability becomes inescapably evident. Oh, preacher, give me some hope. I will. It's in Psalm 32. Which is the story of how God gave relief to a debt-ridden king. Psalm 32, the passage we read, is a story that explains this portion of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. King David looks back on a time when he was in denial over his sin debt. And one scholar thought that Psalm 32 referred to David's sin of taking uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And so David writes this psalm in the aftermath of that disaster to reflect on both the burden of his denial and the beauty of his confession. And so in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, David begins this psalm with this declaration of the blessed liberation of of being spiritually debt-free. There's nothing like like it. There's nothing like having your sin covered by God, David says. I I don't have to hide. I don't have to keep secrets anymore. How many of us have secrets that we keep because if people only knew, then that would be the death of us? And then add to this our culture's claim to privacy. What I do is my business and none of yours. So this dynamic of privacy makes us unwilling to divulge our burdens to others. And the result is a life of superficial relationships over trivial matters. We're just playing trivial pursuit all day long. And all the while, interest keeps churning and accruing on the debt. And after it just became so oppressive, Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now listen to me. Whereas silence may be an American value, in David's Hebrew world it was not. Silence was a source of suspicion. Why are you silent? What are you hiding? What are you concealing? In this text, silence isn't golden. Silence is evidence of denial. Silence is pride. Silence is stubbornness. Silence is the fear of being found out. Silence is Adam hiding from the presence of the Lord. 
A silent spirit is a groaning spirit. A silent spirit is an oppressed spirit. A silent spirit is a depressed spirit, a strength-sapped spirit, a spirit in denial. And hear me, church family. Our silence to acknowledge personal sin is paralleled by our silence to acknowledge corporate and national sin. And when we have wounded others, a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a neighbor, a congregation, a community, a people group, a nation, and when we refuse to verbalize it so that it's out there in words to be dealt with, then that wound accrues debt, which becomes a part of our identity. And the debt diminishes, and then the debt takes revenge on us, on David. Do you understand why David is saying, my bones wasted away? David is suffering from spiritual osteoporosis. Honeycombing. He's being hollowed out from within. And David is the king. He's responsible to lead the nation. And you cannot lead well when your sin weighs you down and hollows you out. So here we have a silent, hollow, depressed king in denial. And he may run the country, but he's not free. Do you want to be free? Will somebody talk back to me today? <laughs> Do you want to be free? Yeah. <laughs> well, it takes pain. Hmm. And when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, then we change. And David was entombed in the bankruptcy of his sin. He couldn't print enough money to buy his way out of sin. And finally he cried out, I can't take this anymore. I can't go on this way anymore. I'm done. I have nothing left. I can't hide it, fix it, or repay it. And, and it's not like David woke up one morning and realized that repenting was the right thing to do and that's what his political advisors thought would be a good idea to do. And Well, I'll just make a decision to do it because that just makes sense. That's not what happened. What happened was that David was so crushed emotionally and spiritually by his own evil, he had nothing left. He was insolvent. I, I wish that I could read enough content to want to change. But instead, I typically have to hurt enough in the heart to require change. And so David changed. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. <laughs> God be praised. Confession is God's way of change. And notice 
This is poetry. So verse 5 repeats this for emphasis. David's finally taking it seriously. He's confessing. To confess is to affirm God's opinion of what I did. To confess is to ask the Father for relief. To confess is to own what I said and did. No excuses, no blame shifting, no spinning. I wounded you when I said or failed to say. I wronged you when I did or failed to do. I acted immorally. We acted immorally. We acted unethically. We sinned. And you give it a name. You name it. As Jesus did with the demon at Gergasa in Luke chapter 8, verse 30. Someone must say, what is your name? The problem must be correctly named before the demon can be exercised. And you cannot heal what you first do not acknowledge. Now why is this so hard? I can think of two reasons. Pride and punishment. First there's pride. We're just stubborn. We're not sinners. We're mistakers. Mistakes were made. Poor judgment occurred. Behavior deviated from the norm. I was a middle child. And Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 says, well, you, may, you, are, you are a middle child, but that's not why you're in denial. It's because, and Ezekiel calls it, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful word picture, it's a, a stony heart. You have a stony heart. You have a rock hard heart. And only God can do the transplant. Only God can remove your heart. And He will do so when you confess. So there's pride and then there's punishment. We feel that confession is a form of punishment. But that's not it at all, brothers. It's not punishment. Confession is not punishment for sin. It's medicine for the soul. Sin loves to separate us and isolate us. Sin is antisocial. Church family, we cannot enjoy the forgiveness of God and the light of truth if we're hiding from God in the darkness of sin. Jesus himself said this in John 3, 20 and 21. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So so note that Psalm 32 is a public psalm. It's meant to be proclaimed in the experience of worship. It was written to be spoken publicly by the people of God to one another. Who as a community we've chosen to, to get out of denial. And church family, I can't totally explain it. But I've read about it, witnessed it, and experienced it. We cannot say that we have fully confessed something to God unless we've confessed it to another person. So if you want the Lord's healing, bring someone else into the conversation. James 5.16 teaches us, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Oh, David speaks as a healed man who was once a diseased man who is inviting us to be healed by the Lord Himself. Verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. 
Surely in the rush of great waters, that's the pressures that we talked about, they shall not reach him. Don't you see? We think that if the pressures would just go away. The pressures aren't going to go away. You, you've just got to have a heart that is secured and strengthened by God to withstand the pressure. That's what you need. And confession is the way. David once hid in the self-imposed prison of unconfessed sin. And now he hides in the liberation of God's love. That's why verse 7 says, You are a hiding place. You preserve me. David was trying to preserve himself. So David was trying to hide. And then God says in verse 8, I will instruct you. I'll teach you. I'll counsel you. And why? So that it doesn't happen again. That's why. God, God doesn't say, I forgive you, now go away. He says, I forgive you, let's walk together. Let's learn together. Let me help you. And so in verses 9 through 11, Psalm 32 concludes with a choice. Don't let the bridle of unconfessed sin debt lead you like a mule. Rather, confess and celebrate the freedom of God's mercy. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This was David's experience, and Jesus is offering this to us. So we've gone from our need for debt relief, the hope of debt relief, and now the Lord's delight in bringing us debt relief. Forgive us our debts is a prayer that God our Father is so quick to answer. Remember the thief on the cross? Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Jesus says, done. That's thou fast. When we come to the end of ourselves in the faraway country. If it takes being crucified. Then it's worth it to hear God say. Today you'll be with me in paradise. When we come to the end of ourselves in the faraway country. When we say, how many of my father's employees have a better life than I have right now? I'm done eating pig slop. Are you, are you tired of eating pig slop? I, I can't take this. I'm going home. And the moment, then, then the God from whom we were so far away, when he, the, he's, he's, he's been outside the estate waiting for us, looking on the horizon, and when and when he sees us, he comes running. And he gives us his robe and his shoes and his ring. And we have a feast. Why? Because he wants to. That's why. He's delighted to. That's why. The, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why? Because he wanted to. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a payment. Why? Because he wanted to. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, because he wanted to. So forgiveness of our debts is more than a personal awakening to the bankruptcy of sin. It's the true story of our affluent Heavenly Father who wants to, who wants to have community with us, and who sent his Son as the finished payment for our sin debt. And our confession of sin before him is an act of faith. In his ability to do for us what we can't do on our own. And so do you know what you need to have your sin debt paid? 
All you need is need. And you take that to your messianic creditor. And 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in Christ, we learn that we'll never outgrow our need for God's grace. In the year 1517, a pastor by the name of Martin Luther wrote these words, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So, so our entire life of, believe, of believing now becomes one of repentance. And so with my new heart, I'm not waiting for sin in order to push the button called repentance. Repentance is rather an orientation of my heart. You remember when the internet first came on and you had to use phone lines, landlines? Remember that? Anybody remember that? Yeah, and then if you know, if you could afford it, you had a dedicated line, right? That was special. But then wireless came and it was just always on. Always on. First you had to dial the number up to get online. See? Not now, it's just on. Some people think, well, I don't need to repent until I sin. I don't need this prayer until I sin. That's not what Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us to the blessedness of being poor in spirit. That's the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Where I'm very self-aware. I'm sensitive to my sin tendencies. I know my blind spots and I'll admit them. And I ask, where am I vulnerable? Where do I get defensive? Where am I fragile? And so then we're not only able to do that individually, but we do that as a congregation. Are there congregational iniquities which we need to repent of? By omission or commission. Lord, please open our eyes. Historically, churches in the United States have been ethnically segregated. How are we addressing this? Well, our Wednesday evening prayer gatherings throughout town uh, have been an attempt to partner with our brothers and sisters in Christ from our sister congregations. White, black, brown, Asian, Latino. We're supporting Pastor Willie Comer who's leading out so admirably and excellently and we're supporting 40 Days of Peace with Pastor James Felder. And So how can we as a congregation support and affirm these beloved pastors? See, this because we are living in this orientation of the soft heart that God has put, having replaced the stony heart. And yes, where are we nationally? What would our country look like if our government took the lead in going to God and saying, God, we repent. We repent of our sins of arrogance and racism and empire. John Lewis, who served in Congress, recently passed away, and his was a voice of moral authority. And he once said, hate is too heavy a burden to bear. But Christ can take that away. Think of the possibilities, church family. Forgive us our debts, our need, the hope, and the delight. It's an invitation to a life of liberation. Are you enjoying that? Are you? I heard about a worship service where people had the opportunity to write their sins on a piece of paper. We've done this. 
They write their sins on the paper and fold the paper and then pin it onto a wooden cross as a reminder of Christ's forgiveness. And one year, a family came to the service and they walked through the worship experience as an entire family. They all grabbed a sheet of paper and started writing their confessions and they carefully folded the sheet so no one could see the sins they'd written down. They intentionally left their names off the paper and then they walked to the cross and pinned their sins to the cross, all of them in that family except for the six-year-old who wrote his in large, clear block letters. God, I am sorry because I lie. And he signed his name. And he did not fold it. And he walked to the front and pinned it to the cross for the whole church to see. And later his parents said, why did you put your name on it? Didn't you want to fold it up so that no one could see? And that six-year-old, oh, the wisdom of our children. He said, well, Mom and Dad, I wrote my name on it because I want everyone to see it. Because if they know it's me, perhaps they can help me stop. Now that six-year-old is debt-free. He's liberated. I want that. Don't you?